Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. Savvy souls, welcome. I like to circle back to emotions with you from time to time because our emotions drive pretty much everything. And the way we think and the emotions attached to the way we think are what drive the outcomes in our lives. And savvy souls, the emotions we desperately try not to feel are often the exact reason we've been unable to create the lives we want. So today I'm going to talk about one of those emotions we desperately try not to feel, an emotion that most of us will do pretty much anything to avoid, and that is shame. There's really nothing very great about shame. It feels terrible. That's because shame's associated with negative self-evaluations, things like I'm bad. According to Wikipedia, shame is often associated with feelings of pain, exposure, distrust, powerlessness, and worthlessness. Fun, right? Shame is self-punishing. It's all about us believing we're not good enough, not doing it right. It's a sense of being fundamentally inadequate in some way. And it's also a universal emotion that cuts across all cultures. And it's the emotion that stops us in our tracks more often than any other emotion I know. My first thought about this episode on shame was to ask you what your life would be like if you knew you'd never feel shame. And by that, I don't mean what it would be like for you to repress your shame, to have it there, but not allow yourself to feel it. Not say, oh, this is uncomfortable. I'm just going to repress it, not allow myself to feel it and pretend it's not there. Not that. Try to push it down because we know that when a feeling is there, but you try to repress it, the feeling goes into your body and it lives there. It's like it becomes actually bigger as it lives in your body. It gains life and energy and increases in intensity. So that's definitely not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is really developing the capacity of awareness, really noticing the thoughts you have that are actually creating the shame for you. What I want you to know is that any thoughts you have that are producing shame, any thoughts you have that are producing shame are lies. Let's talk for a moment about the difference between guilt and shame. Because sometimes we can fuck up, we can make a mistake, we can be callous, we can hurt people's feelings, intentionally or not. Feeling guilty means, hey, I did something that was outside of integrity for me. It was outside of integrity for how I want to show up. And I don't want to do that anymore. And it's okay to feel negative about that, to feel guilty. But shame is something entirely different than guilt. It's saying, I did something, and because I did that thing, I'm a bad person. I'm a failure. I'm inadequate. Me, 
as a human being on this earth, I'm inadequate in some way. And that, my friend, is absolutely never true. We're all deeply worthy, no matter what we've done, how we've shown up, what we've accomplished, what we haven't accomplished, the things we failed at, the things we've said or shouldn't have said, the people in our lives that might have been negatively affected by things that we've done. All of these things we tell ourselves that make us feel bad about who we are as human beings in this world, those things are not true. So let's talk about some of the more common things that cause us to feel shame. And then let's look at the thought errors causing that. And let's look at what we might accomplish when we choose to refuse to think in a way that produces shame. What does it free us up to do? If I realize shame is optional, what can I think instead that feels true? What can I think that would make me okay with who I am? What would be loving and kind and encouraging to myself that would let me show up in a way that would be useful for me and useful for the people around me? So let's dive into some examples. I could only deal with a few because this podcast is already going to be pretty long, I think. We're going to see why shame's not useful in these circumstances and how we can believably tackle the thoughts that create it. As we go through these examples, you're going to learn one thing. You're going to see how shame stops you from living in the expansive, generous, productive way that you want to. How shame is a trickster that tries to keep you in place. So let's talk with shame about our efforts to do something and we don't get the results we want. And then we use our failure to get the results we want as ammunition against ourselves. So I'm gonna tell you a story because I think that's the best way to illustrate this. I know a young woman and a long time ago, she decided to study psychology and she thought psychology was an easy subject. But when she took her course of study, she struggled to do well in it. And she did manage to get her degree, but her marks were very low. And she felt really discouraged. She felt a lot of shame about her academic performance. Her family was very academic and she took her poor marks to mean that she didn't measure up. She told herself she was no good at school. And so she took a year off. She'd wanted to pursue a graduate degree in psychology and that wasn't gonna work out for her. But during that year, she did some work with autistic kids, which was an area that she thought she wanted to work in originally. And she started to realize she didn't actually like psychology. She didn't really want to practice it. And she wasn't at all sure she would like working in that field at all. She started to realize that maybe her poor performance in psychology subjects at school had no overarching meaning about her or intelligence or her ability to be successful, that maybe there had been no reason to be shaming herself about her academic performance. She didn't need to sink into shame about her academic performance. None of this was serving her. She really looked at what she wanted to do and she decided that what she really wanted to do was go to law school despite her poor marks. So she took this entrance exam that is called the LSAT here in Canada. I don't know if that's what it's called elsewhere in the world, but it's the LSAT exam you take to test your legal skills. And when you apply for a law school, 
you submit your marks, but you also submit your LSAT results. And she did pretty well in it. So she applied to all of the Canadian law schools and not one law school accepted her, but that didn't stop her. She didn't have shame about that. She decided to apply to American schools because uh, the U.S. has an awful lot of universities and a lot of places she could apply. And she did manage to get into what she called a third-rate American law school. And guess what? It turned out law was her thing. At the end of the year, she was the number one student in her class. And so when Ivy League Law School offered her a position and she moved over there and she did was near the top of her Ivy League school. And when she finished her course of study, she was sought after by most American firms. And now she's a very accomplished lawyer at a major American firm. And she absolutely loves what she does. I used to be a lawyer myself. And over the course of the years I worked as a lawyer, I met lots of other lawyers who had similar stories to this woman. They did poorly in their undergraduate work, but they exceeded as lawyers. Even some lawyers who did poorly in law school, but just became amazing, sought after, highly successful practitioners. One lawyer I know got a D in tax law, but is now a respected professor of tax at the same law school. So what all of these lawyers all had in common was they had initial shame about their poor academic performance because they thought it meant something bad about them and their prospects. They thought it meant they weren't smart enough to make it. And then in each case, something inside them shifted and they tried law and they said, hey, I did poorly in this one subject, but I'm gonna try another route. They shifted out of the shame by making it about their performance, just in some specific circumstances and choosing to decide that they could perform differently in new circumstances. Rather than saying, I'm not smart or I'm not academic, they made it about their performance and not about who they were. And that's how they shifted from shame into being very successful in another field. So that's just an example of how we have shame about our failures and really our failures are never about our qualities as human beings. They're just about us trying one thing and it not working out and it's not a big deal. Another common example is shame around money. There are infinite ways we create shame about our financial circumstances. Here are a few. I don't make as much money as him. And the thought is, he's better than me, or I don't measure up. In other words, I'm not as worthwhile a human as he is, and I know that because I earn less. Another shame-inducing thought is about losing the money that you once had. You scold yourself for the choices you made. You feel shame when you, when you make it about your quality as a human being, the fact that you lost the money. You tell yourself, I screwed up big time. I'm a financial failure. And that you make that mean something about you. An opposite but common shame inducing financial situation comes from making too much money. If you think that that circumstance makes you a fundamentally bad person, 
You have thoughts that rich people are bad, selfish, greedy. And so if you're doing well financially, you're fundamentally bad. So these are just three kind of money shaming thoughts. There are books written about money shaming thoughts. So many of us believe because money is such a big deal in our society. But in all of these circumstances, the truth is that money is absolutely neutral. The money you earn, the amount you save, the amount you hold on to, the amount you lose, the good or poor financial decisions you've made, all of these have absolutely nothing to do with your worth as a human being. Some thoughts you might try out to eliminate money shame are, my value as a human being is unrelated to the amount of money I have in the bank. And to prove that to yourself, you can look at people around you, famous people, people you know personally, and you can notice all the examples around you of how that's true, that people's value as human beings is unrelated to the amount of money they have in the bank. I'm sure you can think of wealthy people that you might not think of as being your models of value that can be created in the world. And you can think of people that don't make a lot of money that have changed the world. Another thought is sometimes I'll make financial decisions that work out. And sometimes I'll make financial decisions that don't work out. And noticing my financial situation can change at any time and never means anything about me as a person. And also noticing financial conditions can change at any time so they can improve at any time. Another thought is money is not objectively good or bad. I get to choose how to earn it and how to spend it. And this is what gives money its quality in my hands. The actions of earning and spending money have a quality. Money itself doesn't affect my quality as a human being. Another source of shame is what we tell ourselves about the way we show up somewhere. So we disappoint a friend and we tell ourselves we're selfish. We're impatient with our children and we tell ourselves we're failing as a parent. We dominate a conversation at a cocktail party and we shame ourselves for speaking too much. We basically set a standard for ourselves of behavioral perfection and decide we're bad if we fail to meet this standard ever. When this source of shame arises for you, try telling yourself things like, yeah, I didn't show up the way I wanted to, and that's okay. Or I didn't show up the way I wanted to, and so I know I'll do something differently next time you decide whatever that something is. Or I didn't show up the way I wanted to, and I'll ap apologize to her and show up differently next time. In other words, I can, I do something wrong, I can make amends, but I don't have to tell myself I'm a bad person. In other words, we move away from making ourselves bad to just acknowledging we didn't show up the way we wanted to and deciding to show up differently next time. We make it about our performance, not about whether we're good or bad. I could go through lots of other examples, challenges in our businesses, being turned down for a promotion, doing something from our heart that's not received well by other people, not fitting in somewhere. The trick is to not think about whatever's happened as a rejection of who we are. We get to just look at our actions 
and decide what we want to do next. That, Savvy Souls, is why shame is a real roadblock to living expansively. If we're thinking that we're fundamentally bad, we're fundamentally inadequate, what's the point of trying something new? We're not going to believe we can do it. We're going to be stuck in our thoughts about our own inadequacy. But if we can reframe our thoughts, the ones that are creating our shame in the first place, the ones that are about us and our fundamental badness, our fundamental inadequacy, and focus instead on our actions, focus instead on what we want to change or do differently, all while believing in our own essential goodness, then our world opens up. We'll trust ourselves to take risks, to follow our heart's yearnings, to meet new people, experience new things, learn new skills, try something that's difficult with full trust that no matter the outcome, we won't use it as an opportunity to tell ourselves we're bad. We'll trust in our fundamental goodness, our worthiness as humans, no matter whether we succeed or fail. We'll trust ourselves to love ourselves, to cheer ourselves on, always. We'll be our own supportive parent, our own fan club cheering us on as we enter each new race. And this will make us so much braver. We'll have more courage to enter the race because there's no longer a huge downside. There's no longer a risk of feeling terrible about ourselves. There's only the upside, the possibility of what we can create in the end. More importantly, the fun of the journey, the delight of the race. When we know we'll be okay at the end of the race, we can joyfully enter the race and run with passion and conviction and trust in our essential goodness. Before I sign off, the other important thing I want to share with you is that when you are caught in shame, despite your best intentions, you're still sometimes going to think in a way that produces the shame. When the thoughts you're thinking feel too true to dismiss, then it's important to allow yourself to feel the shame. I have to say that one of the freest things I've learned to do is allow myself to feel the shame. To me, shame is the worst emotion and it's something I avoided most of my life, but I've learned to sit with it. And because I've learned to do that, I'm not so afraid of it because I felt it and it didn't kill me. And then I was able to feel it, to let it go, to release it, to not let it to continue to live in my body, to not believe the lies it was telling me, to not let it stop me. And when you know how to let shame arise, feel it and let it go. And when you know it won't kill you, when you know how to think differently and not make things about your essential goodness, when you know how to make it about your actions, then savvy souls, you are free. And that is a sure route to expansive living. That is a sure route to the life you want. Savvy souls, if you'd like help living more expansively, sometimes it's really hard to reframe our thoughts on our own. Sometimes it's really hard to come up with a new perspective on things. So if you've got a goal, a dream of a bigger life, you crave more fun, more joy, more engagement, 
you've been yearning to try something new, but you just haven't been able to manage to move forward and do it. You've been thirsting for the company of engaged, interested, vibrant, curious, intelligent, passionate, creative people like you, then you'll want to learn more about my magic room experience. It's going to be beginning late June this year. It's a six month group experience. I think it's unlike anything else you've been exposed to before. It will shift your mind. So you're thinking in a different way, you're seeing more possibility. It will open up and fuel your creativity in surprising ways. It will expand your world. It will stretch your concept of what's possible for you. It will set you on a new journey and get you taking steps towards making it happen. I think it's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be the best thing I've ever offered. It's going to have my eyes on you and your specific problems and issues and roadblocks. It's going to get you going. It's going to get you in community with lots of support and engagement. If you don't want to miss any announcements, just go to my website. I'm happy that my website is up and running. It's actually now reflecting who I am and what I offer. I hadn't changed it for about three years. So it was wildly out of date. It's really exciting. It's www.gracedgraced as in dog, canvas, C-A-N-V-A-S dot com. And you'll see at the bottom at almost every, every tab that you can open, you'll see at the bottom a sign up for my creative expansion newsletter. That's where I'll be delivering any news that you want about the Magic Room experience and what's involved, what it costs, et cetera. I would love to have you join the newsletter. And even if you're not interested in the Magic Room experience, I have lots of good content that I post, quite frankly, whenever I feel it. Sometimes I don't post for a long time and then sometimes I post lots, um, but it's a, it's a fun place to go and stay in touch with me. And Savvy Souls, it will be fun. Join me there and join me next week and we'll make some more ha magic happen in this podcast and some more magic happen in the Magic Room experience. See you next time. Bye. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.